For the first time on November 12, 2016, UFC 205 packed Madison Square Garden, the mecca of combat sports. The fights were as big as promised. But if you take away the music, you take away the lights, you take away the cage and the fans, you're left with two men in an immense space. These two men have to fill the void with just themselves and let the audience seep into the cracks. Before the likes of lightweights Conor McGregor and Eddie Alvarez had their garden parties, it took a big man to command the room. It took a giant. It's capacity Madison Square Garden, 25,000 strong chanting for Andre. Andre had wrestled in big stadiums, you know, like Shea Stadium. He had wrestled at the Tokyo Dome in, J in Tokyo, Japan, which are all fine places. But as far as professional wrestling goes, Madison Square Garden holds a mystique unlike any other place in the United States. I mean, this was the place where one of the toughest, roughest crowds in the world would gather to watch combat sports, like professional wrestling and boxing. So for a guy to walk in there and blow the roof off, that's an accomplishment. He kind of carried the sport of professional wrestling into the mainstream in a way that no one could have imagined. This is The Narrative. I'm Harry Swartout. André René Rusimov was born in France to a farming family. By age 12, he was already six foot three. When André dropped out of school in the eighth grade to work on his family farm, his brother Jacques said he could perform the work of three men. People took notice of the local giant, and a promoter capitalized on André's size to book him matches in the Paris wrestling scene. From there, André's legend grew almost as fast as he did as he moved to Quebec to wrestle. There was just one problem. What wound up happening was he quickly eventually ran out of opponents. That's Brandon Easton, author of the graphic novel André the Giant, Closer to Heaven. So he had to start traveling the world because he was an attraction anywhere he went. And in those days, wrestling was divided into very discrete territories. In a lot of ways, the, the pro wrestling territory structure of the 60s, 70s, and early 80s would look like a checkerboard. Everybody had their own territory. Nobody stepped on each other's shoes. And Andre figured out a way, and his management figured out a way to travel to each territory so everybody would make their money. And also, Andre could prosper from it. Early wrestling wasn't glamorous, or even always profitable. Each federation had territory, and each territory had its wrestlers. The wrestlers lived gypsy lifestyles, constantly moving to bring the show to new fans, wherever they may be. Just ask WWE Hall of Famer Johnny Rods. Rods up on the ropes, dies off. Did you see that Andre the Giant catching Rods? We worked from Monday to Sunday, and sometimes even Sunday, Saturday and Sunday, you probably worked twice on the same day, 2 o'clock and then at 8 o'clock again. You know, like whatever big center they have, 
or whatever community center that holds uh, a thousand people, it doesn't matter if you go south or you go north because we went all the way to Prescott, Maine, which is from New York to Prescott, Maine. You're talking 889 miles. We were the real McCoys. Andre certainly was the real McCoy. Not only did Andre travel America, but he also traveled the world, drawing especially large crowds. You might say he was big in Japan. Around the early 70s is when he went over to Japan and when Antonio Inoki created New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is still going strong today, um, he was a megastar over there. No one had ever seen anything like him. And this is back when Andre was tall and athletic and thin, where he could do drop kicks and was a lot more athletic in the ring in terms of grapple, grappling and uh, ground-based moves. Japanese pro wrestling puts a larger emphasis on grappling and difficult technical maneuvers. Andre was big, but he could also move, and the crowds loved the element his size brought to the strategy of a match. For him, because of his size, you'd have a lot of Japanese guys kick at his legs or go for his legs, where he would try to get them in a grapple and try to choke them out or fall on top of them. So it was a lot of reversal, hit and run, hit and run, hit and run, all the way up to the big finish where Andre would do his double underhook suplex or drop kick or elbow smash and pin them. At this point in his career, one might actually call Andre small in comparison to his later years, but he was still an immense man built too big for the world around him. This made travel, especially in Japan, incredibly difficult. He was a man who had to buy, you know, an entire row if he wanted to sit on a plane or he had to sit at the back of the plane on the floor in the galley area simply because the seats weren't big enough. If he wanted to get into a taxi cab, he would have to basically dive in horizontally just so he could get in. And if there wasn't enough space, he just couldn't do it. It's almost like if any of us go to Disney World or Disneyland and we try to get on a kiddie rides, like we just don't fit. And that was Andre's entire life at one point. It was in Japan that doctors discovered why Andre was simply too big for the world. Andre had acromegaly, a condition where the pituitary gland secretes too much growth hormone. Along with being responsible for Andre's enormous stature, acromegaly would change Andre's face over time, enlarging his brow and jaw, and eventually kill him at an early age. Andre took the news hard. He began living his life as though he were dying, drinking heavily. The stories are the stuff of legend. He says, hey boss, call everybody boss. Uh, you think maybe tomorrow I get a ride to a deal to uh, Roar Island? Now, he wanted to come back with me because I had a 1955 caddy that was blue, powder blue, and, and you know, those monster cups. They started with that box of beer. We drove maybe, not even 50 miles. Hey, boy, we only got one left or two left. Hey, boss, we have to find more beer. When we come from Broad Island and you're in the, and you're in the section of Connecticut, there is not too many places open. Hey, come on, boss. We can't go all the way to New York to 45th Street. Uh, we gotta have beer. Sure enough, 
we find one place. Now, the funny thing about it, they don't gonna give it to you right there. And the guy says, drive the car, the car around the corner in the back where they throw all the guns. And we got your box. <laughs> so we drove in the back, he paid the guy, we took one beer, went in the back, put it in. Okay, boss, let's go to New York. <laughs> and that's it. Now, that's not the ending. The funny thing about it, we went all the way we drove. Because it was an older car, and it was a strong car, but because he weighed, I don't know how many pounds, and the car was like, quick, 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 quick. And when when he got out of the car, something went, clink, like, you know, really, it was already snapped, and it was, like, went back. I said, what the heck? Now, I dropped him off, boss, to see you tomorrow, because next day we go. When I took off, the car was going, clink, 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 clink. One of the, the spring area, whatever, something's not but having it. That's one of the biggest experiences that I had driving with Andrew. News of the big experiences of drinking with Andre spread. One time he flipped a car after some people made fun of him in a bar. Another time, Andre downed 156 beers in one sitting. Andre drank 16 bottles of wine before wrestling three matches. Andre also partook in women. He was eighth wonder of the world, like nobody else out there. But then at the same time, he was my dad. That's Robin Christensen Rusimov, Andre the Giant's daughter. My father did not actually believe that I was his child until we had a blood test done when I was almost two years old. Doctors had told Andre that his acromegaly would leave him unable to have children. When he discovered Robin was his, however, he quickly told the mother that he wanted to have a relationship with his daughter. But wrestling got in the way. He did want to be part of my life, but my mother and my father didn't want me around the wrestling industry, uh, which made things very difficult because he, you know, in his prime was on the road like 290 some odd days out of the year. Uh, and also when my dad wanted me around, I was specifically told that my mother wasn't allowed to be there. And that made it hard because I didn't want to go anywhere without my mom because she was the only parent that I really knew. So, you know, we kind of grew up, you know, strangers passing in the night kind of thing. The reason Andre was on the road so much is because the WWF took off in the 80s. Now, instead of territorial federations fragmenting the country, one league dominated the national wrestling landscape and the WWF needed their biggest star to make sure their national gamble paid off. Andre regularly filled MSG and other huge stadiums. But a bigger stage also meant a bigger show, and the WWF made sure their wrestlers put on the drama. What's your name? Harry. What? Harry. Why don't you speak a little louder so I can hear you? Harry. Okay, now I'll tell you, Harry, I'm gonna hit you so hard tomorrow night at the Madison Square Garden, that the pictures in your wallet are gonna cry. How about that? You hear what I said, folks? I'm gonna make a picture in his wallet cry. Take that to the bank, brother. There's no music. There's no fancy coats. Just you and I, Baba. Only there's air between you, both, both you and I, okay? Do your thing, because mine is already done. All right. I think I'm gonna meet you there. 
but only one of us is going to leave there standing up. Stand it's going to be me. Oh, really? You're going to stand that up? Yeah. Because I got you by the hair. Oh, no. See, I'm going to be walking out. I'm going to be walking to a nice limousine. Going to have a night on the town. Because it won't take 10 minutes for me to beat you. You see the guy standing there? You know what he's waiting for? He's waiting to tell you that I already blew your tires and there is nothing for you to go. So you're, you're done, baby. You're done. And you keep talking, that's going to that's gonna be faster than bullet. Keep your mouth shut. You want to make your money? Want to make your money? I want to make my money. You're going to make your money. I'm going to make you earn it. Hey, now, I, uh, can I have this guy carry it out before I put him out? That was awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he really challenged yeah. me. Yeah. Normally, Johnny Rods would be challenging somebody a little tougher than me. But it goes to show, the setup in WWF became important and showy. You get the giant, the only professional wrestler who's still undefeated. His WWF stardom opened up new opportunities for Andre, like film and television. Andre took roles in The Six Million Dollar Man and Conan the Destroyer before getting a signature role in The Princess Bride. His character, Fezzik, introduced a whole new type of fan to Andre. See, I think the odds are slightly in your favor at hand fighting. It's so my fault being the biggest and the strongest. I don't even exercise. One of the times it was actually after The Princess Bride came out, and it was after he had done his thing in the ring and you know he didn't even go back and take a shower he didn't get dressed he came out directly to where we were backstage still in his gear and proceeded to just sit on a bench and i sat on his lap and we talked at one point he started quoting the movie to me which was you know when you're seven years old great and you know it's one of the few times that it actually seemed like a father-daughter relationship it's really weird the combination and how it has attached to my life because uh, most of the time when I pitch, when I talk about him and when I, you know, think about him, I think about him in The Princess Bride. I don't think about him as the wrestler. Hundreds of little girls and boys who were not into wrestling recognized Andre as Fezzik now. But as the legend of Andre grew, his body began to shrink. At the same time as Andre was wrestling more and appearing on TV and in movies, his body began to break down. He broke his ankle in 1981. He put on weight while he was recovering and found it difficult to move around. He was in nearly constant pain and had back surgery to relieve some of the pressure. That set the formerly 7-foot-4-inch Andre to a mere 7 feet tall. His brow and jaw grew out rapidly, changing the shape of his face. This is the Andre the Giant most people remember. In the ring, his persona changed to fit his appearance and ability. A typical Andre match in the 70s could have went in any direction because... Andre would wrestle completely differently then. For the 80s generation, you'd have it where Andre would get attacked by the bad guy. They'd probably go for his knees or they'd like hit him with like a chair or some other object. And just when it looked like Andre would lose, he'd come out of nowhere with the big boot or the big slam or the big body splash and he would pin the guy. And that's usually how Andre matches went as his body started to deteriorate. The WWF found all kinds of ways to keep Andre looking dominant in the ring, when he could barely even stand up. He became an immovable object. When Andre didn't have a world title shot, 
or if Andre didn't have an opponent who could feasibly beat him, they would do a battle royal situation, which would highlight his strength and, you know, almost like like a sideshow circus freak kind of a thing where he would have matches against three or four people or he would do a tug of war in the ring or he would have, like I said, the battle royal, which would showcase his incredible strength and he wouldn't have to work very hard. His opponents would do all the work. So that would save his energy and strength and his body while um, he wasn't doing so well. But it would, they were always crowd pleasers. The kids would love it and the older guys would love it. And it was just a thing that would make Andre look amazing. $1,000 eight-man invitational body slam Russian roulette right here. Andre knew his wrestling career was just about over in the late 80s. But he had one last gift to give the WWF. He launched a new superstar to take his place. Andre the Giant let Hulk Hogan beat him and even body slam him in WrestleMania 3. And so by the time WrestleMania 1 came in 1985, Andre was a shadow of his former self. And, you know, he participated in WrestleMania 1 and 2. And Vince McMahon Sr. realized that he was going to have to replace Andre as the icon. So he talked to Andre and Hogan and set up the big match at WrestleMania 3 that most people remember. And those were like the benchmarks of Andre's career as far as professional wrestling go. This was the beginning of the end for Andre. He wrestled after WrestleMania 3, but infrequently, and his health kept deteriorating. In 1993, his father died, and while in France attending his funeral, Andre the Giant died as well. Years after his death, Andre the Giant merchandise still sells. WrestleMania just named their Battle Royale after him. There's not one, but two graphic novels telling Andre the Giant's life story, and there's even a biopic in the works. They're still not sure who's going to play Andre, though. They're going to have to pull out a lot of Hollywood magic to make it done correctly, to make him look right. Where they're going to have to get an actor who's a character actor who can do the voice. And I think it's going to have to be a lot of CGI stuff. Uh, I don't think it's going to be... I, they will have to do practical stuff when it comes to like wrestling and that sort of thing. But I think when it comes to height and look, it's going to be a lot of combinations of CGI and also practical makeup because there's nobody out there that looks like him. The role of Andre the Giant may be too big for any one man. He'd have enormous boots to fill. There's something about that guy that really touches people. And it's one of those things where if somebody has that it factor, Andre had the it factor. And I think that no matter how much time goes past or passes us by, we're still going to remember how he made us feel. You mentioned the right guy, the guy that, that I had fun with, a guy that was a regular guy. He had his time, uh, his time, his heart was the same as yours, only the body will not control his heart. This is why we're talking about this guy that is not here, you know? There's also this huge mystery about how does somebody get so big? And not only that, they are this big, and how do they do what they do? How is this possible? Uh, he was like nobody else out there. And there probably will never be anybody like him in the future. Andre was truly a giant, and his legend continues to grow even bigger. I mean it. Anybody want to feel it? Yeah!
Special thanks this week goes out to Robin Christensen Rusimov, Brandon Easton, and Johnny Rods. If you want to learn more about Andre's amazing life, check out the graphic novel Andre the Giant, Closer to Heaven, from Lionforge. If you want to see some great wrestlers trained by Johnny Rods, his world of unpredictable wrestling is having a big match this December 11th at Laboom in Queens, New York. If you like the cast, head over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag SINarrative. I'm at Harry Swartout on Twitter. And as always, for more narratives moving the world of sport, go to SI.com. <laughs>